morning, everybody. <coughs> if I haven't met you, my name is Jonathan. I get to be pastor here. And I, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. I was laughing when Bo said that about don't tell your mom about regifting because actually my mom is like the ultimate regifter. And she would be proud for any regifting that's happening. She has a way, like she gives gifts. And you're like, Mom, where did you find this? And she's like, well, it's a secret. I can't tell you. She has all these like secret ways of finding stuff and getting into people. But um, I am, you know, really this year, I, I tend to be kind of a non-traditionalist by nature and kind of push back against doing things that everyone does, just, be, you know, that, everyone, that just happen. And so I, I've been known when we, when Christmas rolls around, to kind of like, kind of not want to just do it too much or too early. In fact, there have been years where we haven't even, our Sunday messages haven't been about Christmas until like the Sunday before Christmas because it's like, you know, we don't want to do this just to do it. We want to like hit on what really is helping people where you're at. Um, but this year, I'm, I'm kind of feeling differently about it. And most of you, most of you know that this is the first year that our family is, is, is having a Christmas without my wife, Reagan, who passed away last January. And so that's, that's a big deal. And, you know, you always hear about holidays of the times where people, you know, feel the, the loss the most and can be down times for people. And so I was, you know, as, and Reagan was an incredible Christmas person. I mean, she created so many Christmas memories for our family and was an incredible gift giver. And so going into that, it's like, okay, this is going to be, this is not going to be the same in many ways. But out of that, it has, I, it's brought me to a place of just wanting to lean into the coming of Jesus more than ever before, actually. It's, it brought me to a place of seeing just that, man, I don't want to like avoid the, this season and the message of the season. I want to lean into it because the story is all about God sending his Messiah to come into the world in a world of brokenness and loss and meet us in that place. And so, I, and it is a world, it's, we're Manhattan's Messiah. We're, we're looking at this theme because not only was there a Messiah 2,000 years ago for Bethlehem and Israel, but the world and every human being is very much in need of the Messiah right here and now, today. And he has come, and he is come, and he is present for, for those who open up their hearts to him and look to him. And I just, I'm just really expectant that even this month, we're going to be, it's kind of like I read a bedtime story to my kids most nights. Well, now it's down to just my last kid who's, who's still young enough for that. Um, and there's usually a Bible story involved. And we're kind of just going to be reading through the Christmas story over the next few weeks both here and also in our community groups. We're going to be just looking at different parts of the story of how God sent his son into the world 2,000 years ago and the different characters that were involved and what, what happened. And just, I'm really expecting that God is going to encourage us and meet us in, as we're looking at his word and the story, um, and including right now, here today. So before we jump in, let me, I want to pray for us. and pray for this time and ask God to, to help us. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have come, and you also say that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're there. And I just believe that's true in a unique way this morning, that you're here with us. And Lord, would you help us just to, we want to open up our hearts to you. We want to 
to know you more. We want to receive you more wherever we're at. And I, I pray that that would happen this morning in this next few minutes that we have together and in this season, Lord, that we would draw near to you as you've drawn near to us. Lord, help us. Lead us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The, look, look with me if you have a Bible or we'll have it on the screen. We're going to look at Matthew 1. The Christmas story in the Bible is found in two of the Gospels, really the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke. And I've been for the last couple of weeks just like playing those on my Bible app over and over again, just kind of like listening to the story and, and contemplating it, meditating on it. I encourage that'd be maybe something you might want to do this season is listen or, or read just kind of over that. We're going to be doing that, um, as I said, on Sundays and at our community groups. Um, but Matthew 1, we're going we're gonna, to uh, not read every verse, but go over Matthew 1 uh, today. And Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus, and the, he was a Jew, as, as all of his original 12 were. And really, the theme of every one of the four Gospels is a different theme. But the theme of Matthew is how Jesus is the King of Israel. He is the promised Messiah who is the king of Israel. And he is the Messiah. We're, gonna, we're looking at this idea of the Messiah this, this month. And the, the, you know, depending on your translation, it may say Messiah or it may say Christ. Because Christ literally is the same word in Greek as Messiah in, in Hebrew. But we, we hear Christ and it's just kind of become like Jesus' last name, right? Like Jesus Christ. We don't think about what it means. But when you think of the Messiah, it's this promised one who God had promised over hundreds of years through his prophets that despite the brokenness of the world, there was going to be one who would come, who would set the world aright. And as Messiah literally means anointed one. It's one who God's spirit would be on. God's presence would be on and he would be different and he would, he would, he would deliver people and set the world aright. And so the, the beginning of Matthew is one of these sections that people, like, oftentimes are like, why is this in the Bible? Why are, these, why are these genealogies in the Bible? This is the genealogy. So it's this list of names of like so-and-so is the father of so-and-so is the father of so-and-so. But we're going to just kind of summarize this because they're, they're in there for a reason, and really it's pointing to the coming Messiah and this, this hope that the Jewish people were for hundreds of years living in expectation of the Messiah who is going to come. And so we read in, in verse 1 in Matthew 1, it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so, even in those names, there's a clue, because Abraham and David were two of the people who God had given prophetic messages to, that, hey, one of your descendants is going to be the Messiah. We, there were multiple places in Genesis 22:18. God spoke to Abraham, and he said, through your offspring, and that offspring, is, as Paul points out in, in, in Galatians 3, it's not plural offspring, but it's singular offspring. It's one person. Through one of your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Abraham was this, the father of Israel, the nation of Israel, and he was the one to whom this promise had come, that one of your descendants 
is going to be the, the man through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then David. David was the greatest king of Israel. And he's really a picture of the kind of king that the Messiah was going to be. And in, in 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 and 16, God spoke to, to David, or of David. He said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that's interesting because you know, David's lineage is no longer still on the throne of Israel. But the Messiah was the fulfillment of this, this prophecy that his kingdom would be established. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so there were these prophecies that there's going to be one who comes. And he brings his kingdom. and It, it sets the world aright. And so it goes on. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And we'll skip a bunch of generations. Um, down to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So we come to the king there. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And we'll skip, skip some more generations of all these kings that came. One after the other, after the other, after the other. Then Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And you can hear, you know, if we maybe don't hear this so naturally, but as the Jewish people would be hearing this lineage, there's this faint question, or not so faint, but there's this question in their minds as each king and each, each son came on the scene, the question would be, well, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is maybe, you know, we know it's one of Abraham's offspring, one of David's offspring. Maybe it's this one. And then they would live their life, and it was like, well, no, obviously not. <laughs> you know, that, and then, then they'd be like, well, this one, man, he's got some good things going for him. And oh, No, but it falls way short. There's just like waiting, generation after generation. Oh, here, oh, no, we've got to wait some longer. There's just this centuries of yearning for the one who is going to come and be the one who can bring change into the brokenness of their lives and the, the poverty and the oppression and the dysfunction. Just like, we need a Messiah. We need someone to come. And there was this prayer and this cry like, who will it be? When will he come? Lord, will you please send him? We, we need him so desperately. And there was generation after generation of waiting. And then there were some more generations. We'll skip ahead. We're skipping a bunch of generations. Um, verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And then on and on and on. Skip to verse 15. Eliad, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Nathan. Nathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who's called Messiah. Wow. There, Matthew's writing saying, hey, we've been waiting. We've been waiting. And now we got to Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and he's the one. He's the Messiah who has come. He's the answer to the world. 
And then so he starts telling the story. Thus, well, another little detail. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And if we see here that just he's making the point that although it seemed like this forever time that it's never going to end, and where is God in this whole story? It doesn't seem like God's coming through. Like he's promised, but where is the promise? But when we look back with the, with the benefit of history, we can see that God had a plan. And there was a symmetry and an order to what God was doing and bringing his plan throughout, throughout history. Um, and then, if we get to this, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. It's really interesting because, you know, how many of you have, like, like me, you have ideas of how God's supposed to come through for you? You have like, God, this is what you're supposed to do, right? Like, this is the obvious problem. This is the obvious answer. Like, come on already. Like, why, this is what you need to do. This is, this, is, this is your plan. So how come you're not coming through with your plan? And we easily confuse our plan with, with his plan. And so Matthew's going, hey, actually, we all thought it was going to be a certain way. We had certain, you know, aspects in the rabbis and the fathers and mothers were talking about this over and we had an idea of this is how the Messiah was going to come. And actually, when he came, there were aspects of what we understood that were true. There were things that we figured out from what God had said that were accurate. But then there were things that we totally had no idea of how he was going to come through. And so this is how it came about. And that's how it is in our life, too. Like, there are things we're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was looking for. That's what I want the Messiah to do. Yeah, well, God, you, you brought me joy. You brought me peace. What a, different ways. But then there are ways that God works. And we're like, that's not how I would have done it. And it, it sure took a lot longer. And it had a lot more to do with you, like, kind of shaping me in this process. Because I was, I was already pretty happy with how I was, actually. But you, there were things that you were doing that were a lot different. So this is how. And so... Today, we're kind of our theme for this story. The title of this message is The Pros and the Cons of the Messiah. There are things about the Messiah that are pros to us that seem like pros, like positives. And there are things about how he comes that seem like negatives, that seem like cons. They're like, oh, wait, I don't know about that part of it. And so in this story, it's got the pros and it's got the cons. And I think they, they relate to our lives. So well. Um, it took place in this way. Lost my place. Got some sinus drainage going on here too, so I feel like I need a spit tune or something up here to help me out. So have some mercy. It's like kind of, you know, barnyard, manger scene. We're getting very real here with our Christmas story. But I'm not going to spit on the floor. Don't worry about that. But it came, the birth of Jesus came in this way. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind 
to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of Mary, Joseph, not son of Mary, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So you know, most of us have heard of this story, but it's always helpful to go back and put yourself in the shoes of the people in the story. And Joseph, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got his life, kind of, there's a plan. You know, he's probably working his carpentry business, and he's gotten engaged to marry this beautiful young lass, and she's a great lady, and they're excited about their future together, and they're going to build a family, they're going to have kids, she's, you know, they're, they're, they're gonna, she's going to be a, a support to his, his life and their, their family and what they're doing, and all at once, it says she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, when you're found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't look like it's from the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, that's nobody, like, their mind goes, oh, she's pregnant out of wedlock, it must be God. You know, <laughs> that's, nobody draws that conclusion. That's not what it looks like. And so, for Joseph's whole world, like, he's got, he's got this, this plan, he's got, things are going pretty good. And all at once, like, his wonderful engaged wife is, is, is pregnant. And this is, not, this, is not, it's a, it, this is not a good thing in this culture. This is not, this is not okay. You know, in fact, this would be worthy of capital punishment. To be, uh, that, that, that would be allowable. Um, or or the, the, the appropriate, um, could be the appropriate punishment. So, it's the pros of this situation. But, but God says, like, hey, but it's from the Holy Spirit. And I, I want you to be part of the story. And so, what's a pro? Well, a pro, it's a privilege, right? Like, God's chosen Joseph. And he's chosen Mary to have the Messiah. To have the Messiah come close into their life. Like, what a privilege. And what a privilege for us. To have the Messiah come up close and personal in our life. And we... Get to carry him. We get to know him. We get to experience him and have him come into our life. Incredible privilege. Nothing, nothing could be greater. It's another pro. It's a miracle. I mean, wow. Like, miraculous. Virgin birth. God is miraculously showing up in their lives, especially Mary's life, and doing something miraculous that's never been done before, will never be done again. Like, they get to be part of the miraculous work of God in history like has never happened before. And the same is true for us. When we come to know God and follow Him, God does miraculous things in our life that can't happen any other way. Um, not the virgin birth. I don't think that's going to happen to any of us. But other miracles that He does. There's, that's an incredible honor to, to have the Messiah in our life. And it's, it's miraculous. And then it's, it's a front row seat. Like Joseph and Mary, like they were there from the very beginning of God showing up on earth. Like, they had a front row seat to the story and the mystery and the, God's presence in it all. Like, wow, so, so incredible. And, the, and God invites us into that, too, when we open up to the Messiah, that we get to have a front row seat in who God is and what he's doing in our life. And so, man, it's so good. 
But there are a few cons as well, right? A few cons. Con number one, you're going to be misunderstood. Joseph goes through with this story, with, you know, saying yes to having the Messiah. He's going to be misunderstood. The stories that people tell about him and Mary are not going to be accurate. They're not going to understand fully what was, what's going to be going on. And he had to be willing to be misunderstood by people around him. You're going to be judged. He had to, they were going to be judged. That's another con. You know, that's not, not something I'm really fond of, being judged by people. But they were going to be judged because of this, this unplanned pregnancy. They were going to be um, looked down upon and ostracized. And there's an aspect of that, that when we, when we give the Messiah first place in our life, there's misunderstanding, there's judgment. You know, I think the one that really stands out to me here, the con for Joseph is there go your plans. There go your plans for your life. Wow, there, man, he, Joseph, he, he like most people, he, he had some plans. And they were probably coming together. It's like, man, I'm ready to get married. This is going to be good. We're going we're gonna to build a family. I'm going to build my business. We're going to be a good, like, middle-class family. Maybe we can advance. You know, we're going to set up shop here in Nazareth. And things are coming together, like things are working out for him. And dramatic change. All of his plans are thrown out the window. If he says yes to this, that means things totally change for him. And they did, right? I mean, he didn't just live in Nazareth. They had to flee for their life from the law and go to Egypt for a couple years or a few years. They were fugitives and all over the place. And then just the responsibility of raising baby God. I mean, it's just like, they, all, their, his plans for his life, they, they were gone. And they were replaced by this new plan that, that came his way. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, a lot of us will say, yeah, God, God does that. God's done that to my life. There went my plans. There, there went all my... When I said yes to Jesus, my, the plans for my life changed. I thought it was kind of like, oh, good, God. A lot of us are like, oh, God, I'm going to say yes to you, and you're going to like, be the wind in my sail. You're going to be like just moving that ship to fulfill my plans like never before. It's going to be great. But actually, like he turns the sail a whole other direction and goes somewhere different. But I was thinking about that. Some of my best friends, they have this quality about them that they don't give a rip about what my plans are. They, I think about my friend, my best high school friends, Brent and Yuka. I was thinking about one night, we, we watched the school play, like on a Friday night, and got done like 9 o'clock. And we lived about 20 miles from the coast. And one of them had the brilliant idea, hey, let's ride our bikes to the harbor. And that was not in our plans. But we were like, okay, let's do it. And so we didn't have lights on our bikes or anything. We, I think one of them didn't even have a bike, but we found him. And we rode like 20 miles without lights on this pretty fairly busy road down to the ocean. And we got so close to where we actually could hear the waves. And then there was like a police army thing blocking the way so we couldn't get all the way to the beach. And then the way back was like 20 miles uphill actually, and, and it was like 
1 or 2 a.m. at this point. And we started going back, and we, this, this thing, so we flagged down a flatbed truck who was going that way, and he, like, put our bikes on the back, and we went back into town, and we got home at, like, 4 a.m., and it was great. Like, it was awesome. Like, it was a great adventure that we lived in, but we had to, like, go of our plans to be part of that. I think my friend John, like, one of my best friends, like, he, since the beginning of I've known him, he doesn't give a wit about what my plans are. Like, it's like, hey, what are you doing today? Oh, well, actually, I, I got, I've got things pretty planned out here today, and I don't have a lot of margin. It's like, okay, you want to do this? And just like, hey, I think maybe you should do this. And so often, it's like, I've, I've said yes to that, and it's been better. Like, it's been actually like the plan of God for my life to come into that. And God is like that. Like, God, when we say yes to the Messiah, there's like, a, it's a letting go of the control and the planning and the like having things figured out and it's saying okay God I let you have it and we're going to see where this ride goes and let me tell you it's worth it it's it's a, it's a good thing but we've got to be willing to let go of our control to come into that um, any of you have friends like that if you don't have any friends like that I'll be that friend for you all right I'll help we have there's a funny saying that there was, they used to say, um, God, the, what, what was it? Um, what, what did they used to say? I don't know. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I'm, yeah, I'm butchering. I can't remember it right. But basically, we'll just say, I've got a wonderful plan for your life. All right? It's, it's different than what you think. But no, forget it. That's, I forgot what I was trying to say. <laughs> that one didn't work out. All right, verse 21. Back to Matthew 1. So the angel speaking to Joseph and says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from the Romans. That's what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to come and he was going to save his people from the Romans. That was, that's how they understood it. That's what they wanted, because the Romans were the oppressors. And but that's not what he said. It's like, no, he's going to save his people from their sins. But we may be like, similarly, like wanting God to save us from the wrong thing, or, or seeing the problem not going as deep as it really goes. You know, we may be like, I mean, I'm like, man, God, I want you to save your people from cancer. I want to save your people from epilepsy. I want to, you know, we maybe I want to save your people from China, save your people from racism, God, save your people from sexism, save your people from MAGA Republicans. That might be your thing. Save your people from woke Democrats. I mean, what, what, what do we see like the problems of the world? God, you need to save your people from from this stuff. But nobody anticipated how deep it was going to go. No, you're, he's going to save his people from their sins. He's all those things, like, he's going to address all those things. I mean, actually, the Roman Empire, like, bowed its knee to Jesus a few centuries later. You know, that, it does have implications in all the problems of society. But what the Messiah does is it, it saves the people from their sins. And it's not just like, hey, he's going to save 
his people from their sins, but he's going to save his people from your sins. He's going to save you from your sins. That's like, wait a minute, I didn't think I was the problem here. I thought it was the Romans. I thought it was racism. I thought it was whatever. But no, the Messiah comes and says, hey, there is a problem. And it goes all the way into every human heart. And that's where it has to come to bring transformation. I love how in the, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian dissident who lived in, in Soviet times. He was in a, in a prisoner camp um, in Siberia in the times of, of, of Stalin. And he, write, he, he writes this in the Gulag Archipelago. He says, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. And it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. I mean, if anyone had a reason to think that this was what it's all about, it would be a guy like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, because Stalin seemed to be like, that's the guy. He's the evil person causing all this problem. These communist elites, they're the ones push putting this on us. And so, man, if we just overthrow them, then things would be turned around. But he said, no, but if only it was so easy. But the line dividing good and evil doesn't cut between some people and other people, but it cuts through the heart of every human being. And he was willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. Man, that's, that's the challenge, is that the problem of the world, it's right here. It's the problem of my sin. It's the problem of your sin. It's the places where we are not submitted to God, where we are not trusting God, where we are going our own way, and then living out the consequences of that and falling short of the mark. That's what sin is, is literally, it means missing the mark. It's an archer's term. We, we miss the target because of our rebellion. We, we fall short of living the life God calls us to. But the Messiah, this is good news, the Messiah will save his people from their sin. God's good. He'll save me from my sin on my worst day, on my every day, when I'm like, got plenty going on internally. It's like, no, the hope is that He will save me from my sin. He will save me from my sin. He will get to those places and deliver me from that. He is able to transform me from the inside out. He will save me from my sin. So the pro of the Messiah, really, we're getting to the good stuff here, is the pro is experiencing salvation. Man, we get to experience his transformation, his salvation in the very core of our being. We get to experience that as we trust in the Messiah and open up to him. We can come into that. We can experience that. The con is we've got to admit we're a sinner. We can't experience his salvation when we're defending our stuff. But when we, if we're willing to admit that we're a sinner, if we're willing to admit our pride, if we're willing to admit our immorality, if we're willing to admit our own agenda, our lust, our, all the stuff, if we're willing to admit it and open up to him, then we experience his salvation because he's the one who saves his people. The name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. Man, so good. So the way of salvation starts with seeing our need, our sin, and repenting and placing our faith in Him. And then as 
goes on, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if we could just, I know those words may be familiar. Like, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard Emmanuel, God with us. But to let the, the truth of it sink into our hearts. Wow, we, we who are sinners, we who are separated from God because of our sin, we who, who live every day with questions that we've been talking about the last month about our identity, insecurities about who we are, feeling that the results of separation because of, because of our sin, feeling all the, all the questions about, oh, how does God really feel about me? Uh, you know, probably got plenty against me. And, but, no, but, but through Jesus, God has made a way to come through all of that and come into that and be God with us. God right in our day, right in our life, right in our space, right with us, not just, not just in proximity, but for us. God with us in our life. That God has, has brought the answer to the question of our heart is, God, how do, you, how do you feel about me? He's answered it once and for all and said, hey, I feel about you that I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I, I want to be there. I want to be in your place. I, I am with you. I have come to be with you and to deal with everything that kept that from being a reality. God with us. And so that's, I think, the ultimate pro. The ultimate pro that is, as long as he's saving us from our sins, we can experience the reality of God with us and, and live in that reality. And man, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's, that's the <clears throat> a reason to be countercultural and get up on a Sunday morning after a Big 12 championship and come to church and like, live a life of, of, of pursuing God and wanting to know Him more and follow Him. Because he's the one who's done the work. And he's the one who's made the move towards us. And he's the one who's come near to us. And this is really just a response of us to him. Saying, God, yeah, it's good. It's good to live with you. Um, so this morning, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, um, come near to that reality or have the opportunity to just walk in that or come into that, whether for the first time or for the umpteenth time, as we take part in communion together. I love how communion, it, it brings that, that idea into the very name communion, that it's relationship with God. It's coming together in union with God. And as we really celebrate communion this morning, we're celebrating the fact that as God became a person, God became man, he took on flesh and blood. He became, he became one of us, so that we can be reconciled to him and so that the world could be restored. And really our part is, is just to believe in him and say yes to him, like Joseph did, like Mary did. You're like, okay, this is amazing, actually. And yeah, there's some part of it that's like, they're, that's giving some things up. 
But I say yes to this because what you bring me into is so much better than what I let go of. Um, let's, uh, let's take a minute and, and bow your heads and um, let's just pray together and draw near to God in this place. Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming near. Thank you for including us in your salvation, including us in your plan of salvation. And this morning, Lord, anything that has been hindering that, Lord, we, we just I encourage you, just pray this in your own heart with me. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us the things that we've held on to and succumbed to. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. And receive your forgiveness. Receive your salvation. Receive your transformation. God, thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Well, if that's, if you want to, to take part in this, this is, you know, only do this if you're in a place of wanting to do this, if you're a place of, of trusting Jesus as your Messiah and trusting your life to him this morning. But if that's you, go ahead and um, go to the back and get a cup and the bread, and we'll come back to our seats, and we'll take communion together. I really like how, appreciate how this practice that Jesus instituted for us, of the remembering him with the bread representing his body, and the cup representing his, his blood. It's so, it's, it's physical. It's material. And it's experiential. It involves our senses, our tastes, our, our bodies. There's a, a mingling of, of our bodies with, with his body. And I, you know, because that's so much of what this life is so often especially in, in the West, we, we make it so in our heads, so intellectual. And that's important, but it's also experiential. And that's really important, that God with us is every part of us. It's our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our physicality, our sexuality, it's every part of us. And... Jesus comes into every part of our being and he brings his salvation. He brings his forgiveness. He brings his transformation. And he is God with us in those places. So as we, as we take the bread this morning in the cup, let's, may we come into that in a, in a powerful way today. I, I, believe, I just really believe that God is inviting us. He's saying, hey, I've come. I've come. I'm not, I'm not, like, there's, I, 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 there's not another step for me to take towards you. I've, I've come all the way. All the way. I died. Come all the way. And so it's really us opening up and receiving him. So let's, let's take the bread and let's take the cup right now. And let's open up to him.